Welcome, folks, to Brand of Man Ministries, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ. I am Will Hunsaker, and so far in our brief study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we've learned that the central message is God's grace. Now, Paul has written that God's grace is seen in the Father's purpose and the Son's work. In our episode today, We'll cover chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, where we will see the grace of God through the assurance of the Holy Spirit. So please turn with me today to this wonderful letter to the churches in Ephesus. Now, as a side note, I, I found that life as a Christian is a lot like killing weeds. As much as I think I've done everything right, I find out very quickly that there's no guarantees that I did what I needed to do. And it's very similar to Christians, as as much as we would like to think we've done everything right, we find out very quickly that we just don't do everything we need to do or everything essentially that God requires of us to do. The world around us knows very well that we're weak and does an excellent job of keeping us away from God, at a distance from God. So what assurances then do we have that we will remain in God's grace as Christians, knowing that we cannot accomplish everything that he requires. Well, Paul, what he does is he turns our heads away from what we do and toward what God has done through Christ and how we can be assured of that. So let's turn to these verses and begin with verse 11, chapter 1. So from the Apostle Paul, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. You're seeing God's grace at work here through the assurance of the embodiment of the spirit to all who believe. So the first thing Paul does is remind us that we gained an inheritance. So you might say, well, okay. Who are the we? Because Paul says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Well, the we are those chosen according to his will. That is all of verse 11. So if you go back to the analogy I, I threw at you about doing everything necessary to kill all the weeds, it really doesn't apply then to our inheritance. But we think it does. Because only God can kill all the weeds. We think we can, but we always fail. And for a little extra emphasis on the reason for God's choosing here, we can refer back to verses 9 and 10, where he says, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
9 and 10. That's the, the reason he did this choosing. Then Paul takes verses 12 and 13 to identify the specific design he used of those he chose, his people, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, this is verses 12 and 13, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now, there's another section of verse 13 we'll get to in a second. But that chunk right there, that means that both Jew and Gentile have been chosen from the beginning. That We were the first to hope in Christ. Paul is writing as a Jew who has come to Christ. Jesus came to speak to the Jews first. Both Jew and Gentile have been chosen from the beginning. First to hope in Christ were the Jews. And then he continues, he says, in him, you also. Now he's speaking to the non-Jews. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So Paul assures that there are not two paths to salvation here. One for Jews and one for Gentiles doesn't exist. Instead, he emphasizes that Jewish and Gentile believers are fellow members of the body of Christ and were predestined to be that way. Now, we'll learn more about that in chapter two, but just for now, that's an important fact. The main point here of Paul's teaching of God's grace, though, is seen at that last part of verse 13 that I left out. So let's read that. So verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Now here's the last part. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's verse 13. So God promised, God's promise to his people, Jews and Gentiles, from eternity past of salvation through Christ was sealed by him with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you had any notion of human involvement in salvation, if you had any thoughts on that at all, on how that could play a part here, Paul just tossed that out the window. He said, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So he already promised that that would come. Jesus promised that to his disciples just before he ascended to heaven. He said, I'm leaving so the advocate can come. And that was the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul says, you are sealed. Now this refers to an administrative act by a sovereign king that he would use his signet ring. And he wore a ring with, a, with an image on it that would show everyone this was king so-and-so. And he would plant that into hot wax when he wrote a command or, or, or a decree, and it sealed it, signifying that this cannot be undone. The king's will is final. So the seal, in this case, is the mark all believers wear as heirs to the kingdom of God, and it is the seal of his gift of the Spirit. It's not hot wax now. It's his gift, his gracious gift of his Spirit. 
And Paul adds in verse 14, he says, who is, he's talking about the spirit now, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this is our assurance until Christ returns, resurrects us all, and restores all things to his glory. But this doesn't really answer all the questions, does it? How can we be assured of the presence of his seal now with this Holy Spirit? How can we be assured that we actually have the Holy Spirit within us? Many Christians, not all, but many, teach today that the presence of the Spirit can only be assured through an expression of, say, a charismatic gift or some kind of illustration that the physical illustration that the Spirit is within you. However, the way Paul is writing this letter indicates that's not the case. That assurance of the Spirit is an immediate fact, immediate like right now, snap of the finger type thing. That God alone has brought a person to saving faith. Because think about that. If you had to illustrate in some way, outwardly illustrate that the Spirit is within you, then that would take away from the grace of God, the mercy of God. It would show more on what you're doing rather than what God is doing. And that does not edify, that does not further the believer and the church. It does not further the message of the gospel. So Paul's indication here is that it's an immediate fact that God alone has brought a person to saving faith. So there's really nothing we can teach or inspire others to do in that regard. What then would be the assurance of the Spirit? What are we seeing here? What have we seen in other teachings of Paul? Well, the assurance that we see immediately is belief. Because prior to that, you didn't have belief in Christ. And then all of a sudden, you do. It's not like it's a process. There's a process of sanctification that we'll talk about later on in this letter. But the belief process is immediate. Paul has similar teachings in his letter to Romans. I'll read that for you, a little excerpt here. This is from Romans 8. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So anything you do in the flesh is hostile to God if that is where your mind is set. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Very significant there. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't do it. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. That's Romans 8, 6-9. through 9. That's a whole other podcast, really, for Romans. But just understand what Paul is saying. You in the flesh, you living in the flesh, cannot please God. He has a similar teaching in 1 Corinthians. He says the natural person, the worldly person, 
does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Again, Paul is teaching, without the Spirit, you can't even believe. You, it's folly to you. You must have the Spirit just to do that, just to have faith. And of course, the kicker for me is Jesus' teaching to Nicodemus in John 3. He tells us that a person cannot even see the kingdom of God unless they are born again by the Spirit. This is God's grace on full display. The Spirit must regenerate you out of your sinful state, out of your out of your uh, uh, circumstance of, of spiritual death. The Spirit must regenerate you before you can believe. You combine what Jesus is talking about here, and Paul emphasizes that in those other two verses or, or other books I just read to you, and you see that regeneration must take place with the Spirit, from the Spirit, before you can even believe. So the vastness of God's grace is seen through the seal of the Spirit within all who believe. Not a result of belief, but the cause of it. We believe because we have been chosen by God and sealed with his Spirit. So what is the sign? What is the assurance that we know the Holy Spirit is within us? We believe because otherwise you couldn't. This is the deep riches of God's grace. Even when you cannot kill all the weeds, folks, even when they keep growing back in greater numbers every time, you can always Rest assured that God chose you to believe and is working out everything with the purpose of His will, not yours, and to the praise of His glory alone, not yours. Thank you for listening. Next up on Brand of Man, we will turn to Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23 and see the display of God's grace through the enlightenment of his church. Grace and peace be with you all. And remember, the Bible cannot mean anything different today than it did back then.